Please turn in the scriptures to Isaiah, Old Testament, uh, chapter 54, and keep that open in front of you so you can uh, uh, absorb what we're reading together. We won't be able to read it all, so we'll be able to, uh, so you'll be able to refer to it as as we work our way as we work our way through it. <clears throat> It's really been great to get to know the prophet Isaiah. I'm looking forward to seeing him in heaven and asking him a lot of questions. Uh, as we've been studying, he raises many, he answers many, uh, but we're really looking forward to the completion of that uh, when we're there with him. He had a really difficult job to convince the nation of Israel at the time that they were in need of repentance and turning to God. The nation had a lot of momentum, but it was all in the wrong direction. And repentance is all about turning from the direction you're going in to an opposite direction to where God wants you to go. Uh, and he wants him to go from who you are away from him to uh, his purpose and his will for your life. Thankfully, this book has been preserved for us in miraculous ways so that we can hear that message. And it's very relevant for us today because it speaks of the Messiah who was to come, and his purpose, the purpose of God uh, for us uh, today. I'd like us to begin with uh, writing down these two questions for, you, for ourselves as we listen to his word. Is my life part of God's redemption story? That's the personal side. And the second question is, are we in our life together in the church aligned to his will, his work, and his ways. And just keep those uh, in your mind as we work through uh, chapters 54 to 56 together. This begins and springs from what we covered last week, which is uh, the learning that the righteous servant of God secured redemption for all. As the Lamb of God, he dealt with that problem of all have sinned and come short of God's glory. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of, his, of us all. And he died. He took uh, our place in the penalty of sin, which was death, so that we, he could offer to us uh, the fruits of his work on the cross of Calvary. And that's what our, our mes- message is about this morning from, from Isaiah. He bore the sins of transgressors and he uh, offers to us the fruits of, of his work. Uh, that comes from Isaiah 53, just reaching back into that for a moment. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Notice, first of all, the resurrection. It's, it's in Isaiah chapter 53. The Lord died, but he rose again. And it is the power of that resurrection that completes the purpose of, uh, of God with respect to the redemption process. And uh, finish, he finished that work. And now, as it's, the words are here, he will divide the spoils with the strong. It says he will be satisfied with his completed work of salvation. He will divide the spoils who 
divide the, divide the spoils with those who turn to him the strong. So here we are this morning, all these years later, and we need to understand who the strong were and what those spoils were that are flowing to us as a result of the resurrection of Christ. We're covering three chapters, and here's a quick overview of how I have interpreted them and strung them together in such a way we can personalize the reading of them. As you read through those chapters, you'll find a series of exhortations, a series of invitations to the nation of Israel at the time and also to us today. Just look at them, uh, sing, enlarge, fear not, come, listen, seek, belong. And in red, I put the outlier, uh, devour. The first three are uh, so uh, attractive to us, and that is their purpose here. Isaiah doesn't begin as a preacher to just say, you are a sinner, you must confess and repent your sins, uh, you must um, uh, go through the sacrificial process of the nation uh, that was chosen by God, and so on. He's... laying out in these three invitations as a result of his resurrection the compelling reasons why the nation of Israel should turn about face to uh, follow God's will and purpose. They had fallen away. They had followed, followed foreign gods. They had accepted their beliefs. They abandoned their worship of God in, in, in the way that God wanted them to uh, approach him and come to him. And here, after the prophecy about the work of the, the righteous servant of God, uh, he is teaching them through a series of invitation the compelling reasons why they should turn to him. That's exactly the same thing that we want to know about today. When we listen to uh, the call of God, how is it that we should want to continue to follow that? How about those around us? What can we present to them as being compelling so that they will turn to him and, and, and follow uh, the true God of heaven. In the second group, we have the gospel message, as it were. He was speaking to them now that he's outlined those compelling reasons to be attracted to God. Here is the things that you need to think about in terms of what redemption is all about. And you can ask the question of yourself and us, are we truly part of the redemption story. And are we living as a church, as a a group of his people, according to his will and his purpose and his ways? Those are the four green ones, and we'll leave the red one uh, to the end. As we look through each one of these, uh, I've given a header called The Righteous Servant is Looking for His People to Something. So just look at the overheads and you'll see that. The first one is, The righteous servant is looking for his people to be rejoicing. Now, the structure of what we have in the uh, in in all of these is going to go along this line. Uh, On the left hand side is the exhortation or the invitation. And then on the far right side is the compelling reason why people would want to do that. And that repeats over and over again. To, To find these in the scripture, you'll look for the. Uh, to answer the why question, uh, the answers begin with for, or because, 
or it is implied in, in what is being said. Are you with me? Who it's addressed to is, first of all, it was, as we said earlier, an invitation to Israel if they respond to the Lord Almighty in their time. But we know that this is also an invitation to all people of, of, of all time as to how to understand how they are to respond to the Lord and how he wants them to respond. So he begins here with a, with a very attractive thing. Sing, O barren woman. You who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor. Now, we all like going to parties. We like to sing. We like to rejoice. That's an attractive thing. But he points out through a metaphor that this is not just a one-time party event that we go to church once a week or we, or we go through a salvation call at our church camp or whatever. It's clear that Isaiah is working through the nation of Israel to try and uh, get them turning for that 180 degree turn and live in that new mindset, that new direction, uh, uh, fully committed for their, for their whole life. The metaphor is a difficult one and we won't take too much time with it, but the nation of Israel was often pictured as the bride of the husband, the wife of the husband. The husband being God and the nation of Israel uh, being the, uh, the wife, the woman. And the singing is attra- here is towards the nation of Israel. And he is saying to them, you, you nation, you are a barren uh, family. You have not born children. You have not gone into labor. Now, what you know, Isaiah was getting at here is that he had chosen this people to, to be his people, and not only that, but also to uh, be the people of God in such a way that all the other nations of the world would be attracted to, to God. That is the, they had the work of evangelism then, and we have that parallel responsibility today. God is calling each of us to appreciate the redemption that is in Christ Jesus and the salvation work that he offers, and he wants us to come to God through Christ. He's also challenging each of us as once we have become his through uh, confessing our sins and having faith in the finished work of the Lord and go to him to seek him, be found by him each and every day, we find ourselves charged with the same responsibility that we are to be the kind of people together so that others would be attracted to God. That's a heavy, heavy responsibility. But it's our calling as the people of God to be like Jerusalem was as the city of God up on that mountain in Israel that everyone looked to as the jewel of the nation of Israel and that would show the light and the glory of God and of the nation of Israel. And it was meant not just them to huddle around it, but to reach out to the nations to bring all to a a knowledge of God and his purposes. So, The question, why? Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. The promise is children. The promise is fruit bearing. The promise is a a people that we have influence over, that God has influence over, and wants all of us and our descendants and the people around us 
uh, to come to him in the fullness of the fruit bearing that God was looking for uh, in his people. The next invitation is he is wanting his people to claim one territory. This is uh, built around a picture of the uh, tents of the wilderness. And we probably don't know much about that, but uh, as we read it, we can partly piece it together. And I've I've given you a picture here of Abraham's tent, just kidding, uh, of what it was like to live in in the wilderness. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. Four, you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. There's three elements here that is coming from this invitation of God. Notice them. First is get ready for it. If you want to live as one of his, be ready for what's to come. The second part is take hold of it. Understand it and apply it. Don't just go and listen to it. Don't just have these nice thoughts about a bigger tent. But be prepared to enlarge that tent and to get rid of what, what you were living like before and put on a new mindset, a new way of living uh, in the bigger tent that uh, God delivers to you as a result of his finished work. And the third part of that is act in the present. Don't just think about a bigger tent. Don't just put some stakes around. Well, I'm going to someday build a bigger tent on that property. Drive the stakes on the outside. Get your additional tarps and so on in the picture. What he's asking of us is to uh, enlarge, to stretch, to hold on to the new and act in accordance with these things. There is two parts to this I want to do uh, say just by the way of application. One is that if we really get it that the Lord has died for you and me, the tent that you're now in should not hold you back from participating in all the fruit that he has for you. Leave the past behind. Put on the new abode of the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and his purpose in our life. And put the past behind. The second part is, prepare the new tent with new foundations. Prepare the larger place, the new place, in your minds, in your hearts, in your covenants, in your your commitments, such that each day is lived as a child of God, as he would have us live. The third invitation is is also multidimensional in its application to us. In Isaiah 54, verses 4 through 17, and not all of that, by the way, is listed on your page, we didn't have room for it. I've tried to pick out the salient points. The main point is that the righteous servant wants us not to fear. Do not be afraid. You will not suffer shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. This comes up again. He does not want you to Fear because of your past. He wants us to grab hold of the, of the real effect of the work of God with respect to salvation from sin and its power. He wants us to put our past sin and sinfulness behind as Christ put it behind on the cross of Calvary. He wants to, us to be released from that power of sin. He wants us to be freed to the new life that he has given 
to us in Christ. You will forget the shame of your youth, he says to the nation of Israel. And God says to us the same way today. Put your past behind and live as if it is gone. God promises here that you will forget. That comes from the positive side of it. If we are living for Christ each day and looking forward to his work and and his will in our lives, that is the way, one of the ways in which we will forget the past because he is bringing us the new by the power of his spirit and the completed work on the cross of Calvary. All of this is, we've heard it before. The question before us this morning is, have we really got it? Have we really learned to appropriate to us the completed work of Christ on the cross, putting our sins behind us and don't fear them, whatever might bring those things back to affect our current way of life, saying you will forget them if you live for the future where you are not to fear the things that come ahead. You are to rely on the God who loves you and cares for you and walk in those according to his way, his will, and his purposes Uh, for you. The next step in our salvation and our walk with him is an invitation to listen and come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. When I was a very young man, about maybe Reese's age, maybe a bit younger, I, I heard this kind of message, come to me, all you, come to me, come to me, seek me. And it was such a clear thing that I had to do and I did make that decision as a young man to, uh, to follow him, to listen to him and to hear him and his message. That's not just a one-time thing that I, I can say I did. I remember often having to go come to the Lord, come to the Lord, come back to the Lord at times, come to the Lord and hear him and listen to him through his word and through his spirit ministering to my mind and heart trying to mold a life in me that would be pleasing to him. And it was a process. We all have our stories about those things. But it was not just a one-time thing. It was as we continue to be close to him, he wants to speak to us. He wants us to infuse us with his word and his will and his ways and purposes. Listen to what he says as the wherefore of these things. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Now put that over your morning coffee or your desk or wherever you do your morning devotions. Does that... Do I measure up to this kind of understanding of God's calling for me? He has endowed you with splendor. He's given you a heritage. He died. He was buried. He rose again. And now he's seeing the the travail of his soul carried out in you in such a way that you are going to be filled with all of those fruits that he offers. But he's going to do that in such a way that he's going to attract others to himself. Now, that's the basis of evangelism that we need to grasp hold of more than we do as individuals and as others. We need to see our life as being the displayer of God's love 
and compassion and truth so that others will be attracted to Him. Hmm. Not, a, not a temple on the Mount of Jerusalem. The glory of God in you, the glory of God in me, and the glory of God in all of us together so that others will be attracted uh, to Him. should be our purpose and aim every day. The next one is the invitation uh, to seek the Lord. Call on Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God and he will freely pardon. I'm not trying to lay out the specific recipe for the salvation process. I don't think Isaiah is doing it either. He's interleaving it all together. But there's a point in our lives that the nation of Israel needed to seek the Lord where he could still be found before the enemies from the heathen nations around came under the power of the sovereign God to bring judgment, His judgment on the nation of Israel. So also, uh, we in our lives have to uh, come to that point where we listen to God's call, His invitations. Yes, considering the blessings He brings, but coming to the point where we recognize that we need to call on Him while we have the chance. We have often seen someone who was listening to the gospel. He was listening to uh, spiritual influence, who was reading the scriptures, car accident, sudden heart attack and death, whatever the situation is, call upon him while he is near and available. You, may, you don't know what's going to happen to you or to me when we go out the door. Our opportunity may cease. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him. Put a wickedness away. Put evil away. Why? Look at the right-hand side of that equation. It's fantastic. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. My word, verse 11, that goes out from my mouth will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve. You will go out in joy, be led forth in peace. So just notice that first part of logic that God gives here. It is, I am the sovereign God. I am the Holy One of Israel. I am the one who... uh, is all of these things that he claims about himself. And he wants us to remember that when we wake up in the morning, we have our ways. We have our purposes. We have our plans. But his ways are not our ways. And we need to be open each and every day to his calling in our life and what that means for us each and every day. That is one of the prime ways that that happens in verse 11 is through his word. His Word is His guidebook for us each day. Each day we should be reading it and absorbing it and letting the Spirit have some material to work with in our uh, feeble minds and hearts so that we would not follow our ways, but His ways and, and uh, so on. And then we have in the next verses the description. It's a, it's a portrait, really, of people who are truly redeemed in Him, by Him. And if you just list those quickly, you will go out in joy. You will be led forth in peace. The hills will burst into song before you. The field will clap their hands. There will be fruit bearing. Instead of weeds in your life, the, uh, the pine tree and the roses will come. This will be for the Lord's renown again, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. Then he says, maintain justice, do what is right, keep my close, salvation close at hand. And my righteousness, righteousness in your life. Blessed is the man who does these things 
and keeps his hand and life from evil. A portrait, not complete, but a portrait that is Isaiah wanted to convey to the people of what your life should look like, what my life should look like as individuals and collectively. The next invitation is, if the first, last invitation we read was a personal one to each individual, here is the, uh, here is the crowning thing from the Old Testament that we need to remember when we study the Old Testament, but also as we read and understand the New Testament call for all of His to be witnesses for Him to all. It's, it's not about the nation of Israel. It's, sorry, in a sense. It's not about the nation of Israel in its own self and uh, its own, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A cocoon. It's not for the church to be a cocoon and just live within the, our, our, the boundaries of these, of these walls. He's called us to make sure that his home, his house, is for all, without exception. Everyone we meet, everyone we are associated with or we work with, we are to see everyone as having available to them the grace of God directly as between them and God. We are to be the attractors. We are to be the witnesses. We are to be the teachers, whatever opportunity the Lord puts in, our, in front of us. But we are to be recognizing that the house is His. And he is, build it, he is building it for Himself and His glory alone. And that all who come into His doors are welcome there to hear what God uh, has to say uh, to them. The examples are given uh, behind this, and we don't have time to uh, provide much information about them. He, he addresses the eunuchs, and he addresses the foreigners. And in both these cases, the people are saying, yeah, I hear you, but I don't feel like I belong because of this or because of that. I had a friend who was a um, secularist kind of guy and traveled with him a lot, and he, I, I was witnessing to him. We were having discussions, but at the end of it, I was... He'd be putting a little bit of pressure on him for the Lord. He says, I've done too much. I, I, this isn't for me. Maybe for you guys, but it just isn't for me. And we can all think of those kind of examples. The, the things that people say that determine, well, it's not for me. The eunuch, the foreigner, the work associate who wants to be an atheist, the secularist, whoever are welcomed by God and included in this invitation to become His if they would only repent and turn, turn to Him. He wants all to know that uh, it is a salvation, it is a redemption for all, and it's a promise to all, and it's for all. Now we come to that red line on our uh, chart from the beginning where the invitation is to come all ye beasts of the field. <laughs> We can't take, our time is almost gone. Let's just say this. That this is an invitation to all of the forces of the world that God has at his disposal and it's his choice as to how he used the nation of Babylon or Persia to work against his people. He allowed those to happen for specific purposes and we don't have time to go through them. The message that comes to us from that is the real charge was against the leaders of the nation of Israel. And this is a word to us as a church, and if we're in any kind of leadership role, 
there's a heavy, bigger burden on us to make sure that we don't fall into that category. Where God is one day going to have to utilize some intervention in our lives to conform our sense of His purpose, will, and ways to, uh, to Himself. And let's just leave it there. It's uh, a lot more that could be said. It's an outlier of the invitations first. But at the end of those invitations, if someone persists in rejecting the God of heaven, there is a consequence from him. And it is ultimately an eternal separation from him uh, for eternity. Uh, and he wants us. The main message is his purpose for us is walking as his own should. Back to our opening question. Two of them. Are we truly aligned with the one who brought us these invitations? Have we responded to them? Appropriated them? Have we turned to him if we're not saved for his salvation and redemption through faith in his son and that finished work he did as the Lamb of God on the cross of Calvary? And if we claim to be his as Christians, I hope that these chapters from Isaiah has blessed us all, but also challenged us all in terms of how then are we to live and truly each and every day align our minds and hearts to his way, his will, his purposes for us individually and collectively. May the Lord bless to us the study of his word together. Heavenly Father, again, we just thank you for your goodness and love, for your grace. Thank you for the opportunity just to open up and explore your word. Father, I pray nobody lives here without Jesus in their heart. And help us all, Father, just to go out to sing in our lives to to all the the tents that your family would be enlarged and that we do without fear. And that we just through our lives bring honor and glory to the one who gave himself for us. We pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.